So, uh, to continue the, the thanks there, for those of you who were here that were here last week, we had a, a time of um, thanks in the service where we thought of the ways that we feel loved as a community and I wanted to tack one on um, to last week's, which is that as an amateur um, preacher, uh, I know myself and the other young blokes that get up, uh, we really appreciate the prayer support and the encouragement that the congregation offers. Um, I've always felt very well supported in getting up here. Um, I also want to thank Maz and the kids because they give up a bit of daddy time, a bit of husband time, um, so that I can prepare and I'm grateful for that. So, you're sitting nervously in the doctor's office waiting to hear his verdict. Finally it comes. I'm so sorry. I don't know how to tell you but you probably only have two to three days to live. Pretend you are in this situation tomorrow morning as you sit in the doctor's office you're on the receiving end of these words. Is there anything that you'd like to do differently in these last three days? Maybe there's some key messages you'd like to leave with your friend, friends or your family. Are there some final conversations that you want to have or need to have before you close your eyes for the last time? Think about the impact of your life so far and the eternal consequences of all that you do and have done. Have you lived well? Do you have some feelings of regret? Do you feel like some of your life has been wasted? That you have maybe let some opportunities slip through the cracks? See, this morning we're studying some of the final teaching of Jesus before he was crucified, delivered to his disciples just days before his death. So what are his key messages? If we wind the clock back to the last few days before Jesus' death, and you can see this in Matthew chapter 24, first few verses, says Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so if we jump over to Matthew 26, we read the following. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So from the very start of 24 to the start of 26, we have this continuous um, sermon, if you like, this discourse of Jesus. It's called the Olivet Discourse, just because it was a lengthy discussion on the Mount of Olives. And it's one of five sermons that the book of Matthew is structured around. So we're quite familiar probably with the Sermon on the Mount. Well this, if you like, is uh, the sermon just before Jesus' death. A few days to go. Uh, Obviously he gets the advantage of being resurrected in the power of an endless life. But still, what what will his messages be to his disciples before his death? The disciples ask three things. When will the temple be destroyed? What signs will mark the return of Jesus? What signs will mark the end of the ages? And Jesus responds essentially with these these chapters, chapters 24 and 25. Today we're only focused on uh, chapter 25 from 14 to 30. Uh, But I couldn't resist getting Evan to read a bit more of uh, the earlier part of 
of chapter 24 to get a feel for the the general thrust of Jesus' sermon here. Keep watch, be ready. But today we're looking at the parable of talents. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, starting from verse 14, we'll read about the parable of the talents or some some Bibles will call it the parable of the, the bags of gold which our colourful little servant friends illustrated for us earlier in service. Um, So let's read from Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Again, the kingdom of heaven. will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I want to open uh, this parable up to us hopefully this morning um, through three key questions. The first question is what are the bags of gold or what are the talents? What do they represent? And I guess the first thing to note is that um, There is quite a range of views out there on what they represent but I feel that most commonly this um, passage has been preached that the talents are gifts and abilities. The Greek word is talanton which merged into a Latin word which merged into an old English word which merged into our current modern English word meaning talent, gifts or abilities, talented person but the two words actually are very far apart. In the Old Testament, sorry in the New Testament, in the Greek a talent is just a large sum of money. In Israel, a talent of gold was 90 kilograms of gold, probably, not, probably a little bit bigger than the little bags we saw before, um, and a talent of silver was 45 kilograms. 
incredible sum of money. So, while the text doesn't tell us whether it was a bag of silver or gold, the, the fact is that this one talent that the um, least skilled servant received is an awful lot of money. The five talents is even bigger, but the one talent's a lot of money. So, do the talents represent skills and abilities? I say no, not exclusively. Um, I think part of the confusion comes from the fact that the English word is different from what the, um, the Greek word was, which was just a lump of money, like a suitcase of $50 notes. Uh, and so sometimes we might read talent and think the parable is about talents. A second reason why I'd say it's, um, that the talents don't represent gifts or abilities is if we rephrase verse 15. So if you look at verse 15 with me, here's my paraphrase of it. The master gave his servants skills and abilities based on their level of skill and ability. So it's very circular logic. We can see from that that um, surely whatever the talents represent, they don't represent skills and abilities, at least not exclusively. I think thirdly, if we think the talents are skills and abilities, uh, we're temp- we might be tempted in response to this parable to actually start comparing ourselves with others. We might think, oh, I think I'm only a one-talent Christian. God hasn't given me much. I don't have much to offer. Um, or maybe, oh, I think I'm five, five talents. I'm quite, you know, God's given me a lot. I'm quite accountable. But actually the thrust of the parable is the opposite to that. It's actually saying that even if you're the least skilled person in this room with less abilities than every other person here, you've been given 30 years of wages. You've been given this enormous sum of money, a talent, by the master uh, to invest for him. So rather than um, having maybe a self-belittling view or diminishing our worth, we're actually all in a position of having this incredible wealth that's been entrusted to us. So... What then is uh, the talent and what does it represent? I think it represents opportunities. Uh, we've got, we've, everyone here in this room has been given this incredible and astounding gift from God called life. Uh, within our lives there is enormous potential. Um, even if we just live for say 80 years about and have one opportunity to do something for God or for the Kingdom of God each day, there's still 30,000 opportunities to invest, to love, to um, do things of eternal value. So I see that these bags of gold are opportunities. Some of you might not have the the opportunities that the Apostle Paul had. You might not take the Gospel to the centre of the world empire. You might not have the opportunities of Daniel, second in command for two world empires. But you all have been given opportunities to influence through your neighbours, through your work, through your family, opportunities that you can convert to fruit that will last forever. So the question of this parable is not how gifted you are, how many abilities you've got. In my mind that's a really minor focus of the parable. It's factored in when the master gives the gifts but beyond that point his expectation is very similar similar of each servant. The questions are instead, do you know the enormous enormous value of what you've been entrusted with in Christ? Do you know the price of the ransom that was paid for your soul beyond all value?
And do you use your opportunities well? Are you living your life with the great glory of Jesus Christ as a blazing centre of everything you do? See, if we think about these opportunities, I don't think it's someone calling you up tomorrow and saying, I've got a fantastic opportunity for you to become a frontlines missionary in Syria against the Islamic State. And, and you've suddenly got this opportunity and here's your bag of gold. I think this opportunity is, these opportunities, this bag of talents, or sorry, these talents, these bags of gold, are changing nappies. They're fetching someone else's print job from the printer at work and taking it back to their desk. It's leaning over the back fence and actually saying hello to your neighbour. Um, here's some eggplants or zucchinis that we've grown in our garden. It's all sorts of opportunities that we're presented with every single day. Sometimes it's only our limited awareness of the opportunities that come our way rather than how many there are. Uh, And so this is our first question. What do the talents represent? And I believe they represent the opportunities that each one of us gets to choose. Will we be fundamentally self-centred and selfish or will we we choose to use our time, resources and our skills and abilities, of course, uh, to actually bring eternal fruit? So opportunities, not just of a sort of um, mundane, they can be mundane, but opportunities specifically that lead to spiritual, eternal fruit by whether we choose to invest or not, whether we choose to be self-centred or whether we choose to be Christ-focused. Question number one. What do the bags of gold represent? Question number two. What is the master really like in this parable? We've got a bit of a glimpse through the video. But if we just look at the start of the parable, uh, we get quite a positive picture of him, don't we? No master who mistreats or abuses his servants would safely trust them with his wealth and and leave to go on a long journey. You might find the money uh, does a runner while he's away or the servants do a runner with the money. So obviously a a master who is well, well liked and respected by his servants. He's a master who's generous and rewards faithful service with shared joy and greater trust and responsibility. He welcomes the first two servants to share his happiness. He's not stingy and say, you're just doing a job and I'm going to enjoy the benefit. He's a master who's reasonable. He assesses the talent and skill of each servant and distributes the money accordingly. He doesn't give to the lesser skilled servant an enormous sum of money and say, I expect you to have the skills to work with this. Um, so he's, he only gives according to uh, what he thinks is a reasonable expectation. But he's willing to take the risk on the servants He doesn't just give all the money to his highest performing servant. He spreads it around and gives them each opportunity. Sounds like a good master, doesn't he? Just from that um, dialogue. But then we get to the third servant. Of course, the third servant's got quite a different opinion of the master. He thinks the master is a jealous and greedy, unreasonable master. Harsh, cruel and demanding. He's the kind of master who expects profit when he hasn't made an initial investment. Kind of master taskmaster who expects you to make bricks when you don't have any mud or straw. But the master's dialogue back to the servant reveals the true nature of the third servant. You see, if the third servant really believes that the master has high expectations and that he'll hold the servants to account for the investment he's given them, why not just take a short walk down to the bankers? Why not give them the talent 
and say, put this in a safe, low interest, low risk deposit and when the master comes back at least there will be some profit in line with his expectations. The fact that he doesn't do that suggests that his excuse is really just a cop out. Actually this servant is wicked and lazy. He's wicked because he's he's in the master's service. He's on the payroll so to speak but he's got little love for the master, little concern for the master's gain and profit. Essentially he lives for himself. He's a lazy servant who buries the money so that he can live how he wants and not have to think about the master. I don't want to have to go check up on someone else's investment. I'd rather just stick it in the ground, forget about it. When the master comes back, he can have his money back. So we see this true nature of the third servant. So what's the master really like? Well, we know this parable um, based on the context is a parable about God entrusting us. So the master is God and we know of his character and this uh, account, this parable gives us no different to what um, God is really like. He's the best boss you could ever dream of. He's the most worthy, gracious, patient and kind. He's a trusting, generous and joyful master. The kind of master that inspires the first two servants to immediately go out and put the money to work and when they've brought profit to joyfully come back to the master and say, see, look what, look what I've been able to get for you. They delight in the master's gain because they love the master. This third servant, the wicked and lazy servant, the worthless servant, is rejected from the master's presence and also from sharing in his happiness. He's thrown into the darkness, left to weep and grind his teeth in sadness and deep regret. Of course, this is a picture in the New Testament often of those who are rejected and ultimately condemned by God and suffer the the consequences of of hell. Um, These pictures of being thrown into darkness, this weeping, this grinding of teeth. So we see that tragically this servant, though he did know what he should be doing for the master, how he should be living, chose to live his own way, do his own thing, uh, live selfishly, uh, not out of love for the master and as a result he's, he's rejected uh, and left forevermore to reflect on the consequences of his actions. Which, is, which brings us to our third and most important question which is all about, okay, we, we know what these talents represent, we know what the master's like, he's, he's worthy of service, He's worthy of our love. Which servant are you? Third question, which servant are you? So if the sovereign ruler of heaven and ultimate master over all men and women comes back today, if Jesus returns today, are you prepared to give an account to him? Are you ready to report on your investment? Are you ready to report on the talent, two talents, or five talents that he's given you. And uh, if we're brutally honest with ourselves this morning, we can ask ourselves the question, are you living for yourself? Or are you humbly in the master's service, working and trading, investing to build his kingdom and living for the greatness of his name? You might have heard the phrase, uh, sometimes we can be so busy building our own kingdom uh, that we, can't have, we don't have any time to build his. 
You see, if there's no spiritual growth in your life and no eternal fruit or lasting impact over the days, weeks and months of your life, then it puts you in this scary situation that you look just like this third servant. This third servant who had all the opportunity of the talent given to him and just chose to bury it. Chose to knock back opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And if you're in that position this morning, um, there's deep concern for where your soul is, for whether you're ready or not to give an account to Jesus. And if you are in that position, I'd urge you to talk to someone here before you leave. Talk to one of the elders, talk to one of our pastors. I'm certainly happy to talk to you. If you have some concern that you might be sitting in this camp of the third servant who lives for himself and doesn't live for the master, doesn't live for Jesus. Well, maybe some of you this morning don't really align to the third servant, but as I've been speaking this morning, the Spirit has convicted your heart that everything's not quite as it should be. Maybe the thought of Jesus returning today gives you some mixed feelings. There's some joy, some happiness, but maybe some guilt, some apprehension and even some fear of whether or not your balance sheet would be worthy of the Master. And so if that's your situation this morning, then I think this parable is a great reminder to come back to the basics of what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you need to get down on your knees. Maybe you need to go back to God and say, Lord, I want to recommit myself to you. I want to ask for your help so that I can surrender my life, so that I can both recognise the opportunities that you put on my plate every day, but also have the courage, conviction to actually take those opportunities and convert them into double money, turn around for eternal benefit for the Master and his glory. Maybe, you've spiritu- maybe you're spiritually malnourished. Maybe you've been neglecting God's word and that's part of the reason why you feel like your opportunities have been slipping through your hands. Your soul is starving as a result of uh, not getting enough food. You, maybe you've been giving the Bible second best or a few tired minutes uh, each day. And maybe more from obligation, from a heart of love yearning for Christ. So if you're in this position of thinking soberly about your investment and thinking maybe I'm not investing as much as I should be then I encourage you to prayerfully consider it, think about it, reflect on it uh, and if you want to get back on, back on your feet, back on the journey uh, then getting stuck into the word of God and, and going back to, in prayer to God is a great way to, to get that journey um, moving again. And then um, potentially there's a third category of people here this morning who are living invested lives. Uh, They're doing what they can with the opportunities to come their way to serve Jesus, to bring him glory. And so they're like the the first two servants off in the marketplace, trading, working, using their time, using their skills and abilities, using their resources um, for kingdom benefit. I'd encourage you to stay faithful. We see really solid warnings in these chapters of Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus' urgency to his disciples, don't give up 
Don't become like the faithful servant who said, ah, oh, my master's been away a long time and he starts beating up the other servants and the master comes when he's not prepared. Jesus is urging us to always stay faithful, to stay in for the long haul. We don't, we don't know whether Jesus will come back tomorrow or in a thousand years. No one's got the day or the hour. We can see signs but no one can pinpoint the exact time when Jesus will return. So that constant state of readiness, that preparedness that when he does come, our balance sheet will be in a healthy place and we can present back to the Master a healthy return on the opportunities he's put into our lap. So there's a powerful challenge in this parable for all of us, no matter where we are sitting in terms of how we're using our lives. It doesn't matter whether you're at school with opportunities to speak with your friends or university, whether you're working, heaps of opportunities potentially with those who don't know Christ, to witness, to love, to challenge and encourage and befriend. Maybe you're retired. Um, There's plenty of opportunities, whatever stage of life you are. Uh, If you think back in the last week and think how many opportunities did God give me, I'd suggest if it's under, say, 10, you're not looking hard enough. There's so many opportunities and oftentimes we just get caught up in the humdrum of life, the daily grind, uh, and don't think about the opportunities we have. But so I think I've been thinking about this parable every day for um, three or four weeks now and it's been giving me a lot of challenges to really assess where my priorities are, to really think about some of the mundane tasks I'm doing, whether it be changing a nappy, whether it be getting up on a Monday morning um, out of bed and off to work and just really thinking, do I approach these tasks with a heavenly perspective. Do I think about, you know, when I'm changing a nappy of one of the kids, do I pray for them as I'm doing it, saying I, I lo- I'm serving you because I love you and I want you to know Jesus? Or I just change the nappy as a matter of course, don't think about the eternal impact, etc. So it's all about taking those daily, mundane, everyday things and turning them into a lifetime of fruitfulness, of faithfulness, of effectiveness for God. And I want to leave you with a verse from Colossians 1.16. A couple of the young blokes in this uh, church are meeting together to go through John Piper, um, Don't Waste Your Life. This is something that's really jumped out to me from, uh, from that book but also from Colossians. It says here in Colossians 1.16, For in him, Jesus Christ, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So if I think about, you know, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of my life? What was I made for? It's very clearly spelled out for me here and for every one of you in this room. You were made for him. So if you're not living for him, you know, you're like a lawnmower that's trying to brush teeth or you're like a bus that's trying to, I don't know, you're not living out your purpose. You're not doing what you were made for and it's a complete disconnect. So think about every task that you do today or through the week. If you're struggling to see it as where on earth does this fit in to the opportunities that might have come my way, maybe try and think about this concept that I was created for him. 
so that in everything I do, say, don't do, don't say, how I live, what I choose to do with my time, what I don't choose, how I spend my money, how I use my gifts, how I use my abilities, how I speak to others, um, how, I, how I say sorry, how I live, all of it would come back to this, I was created for him. And when we say for him, we mean uh, created to bring glory to him, created to love him, created to be like him and created for his pleasure. So that in everything we do, Jesus might look on us and say, I'm pleased that I see Rob or see whoever living to honour me, living to love me, living to model my character as a witness to all around him. Christians, people who don't know Jesus, so that they can all see a bit of my son as they look at Rob. So do everything for him. It's a fundamental reason why you were created. There is no higher calling, no alternative purpose for your life, no greater purpose for your life. He is coming again, could be today, could be a long time away, long after you are um, passed away. But the last sermon that Jesus delivered would urge us to keep watch, to be ready, be prepared and to remain faithful. So don't put, off to, don't put off until tomorrow what you need to do today and what you can do today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this um, parable in my mind feels to be quite hard-hitting. It really gets down to the core of our life, whether we're living selfishly, whether we're living for Jesus. Uh, and gives us this, in some ways, overwhelming sense of uh, burden, of responsibility, of just how great the trust you have placed in us, Lord, to be your witnesses to a watching world. Enormous responsibility. But Lord, we come back to you and who you are. We come back to you as a, as a gracious King and Master who never places expectation upon us unless you give us the strength to carry it out, the gifts and abilities to make it happen, the support networks to encourage and keep us faithful. You are the ultimate master, Father, and give you great thanks and praise for that. We can trust you. You're not a measly master who expects more than possibly could be given or earned. You give us opportunities and give us everything we need to make those opportunities happen and to turn them to eternal fruit. Lord, sometimes these opportunities come our way and for whatever reason we're too afraid to take them. We don't even see them, perhaps. Lord, I just pray that you'd give us a great awareness of the opportunities you have placed into each of our lives. Even the least skilled person here, the one who feels most unworthy, of being entrusted with the good news of Jesus has been given a bag of gold or a talent an awful lot from you Father and you expect us to return that to you with eternal interest Father help us to do that help us to be faithful help us to not wander off the tracks help us not to neglect the basics Lord to keep our souls fed from your word to be humble and prayerful, 
keep coming back to you to challenge ourselves as to whether we are living the way we should be, whether that's a daily exercise or periodically, Father, to, to keep short accounts with you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for people here, especially for anyone who doesn't know you. There are many church attenders who will never see the light and beauty of heaven. Many good people who you will say, I never knew you. And Father, I would hate to think that someone who's sat here at Monty for years might be like this third servant who was thrown out in the darkness and rejected from your presence, Father. So I pray that you, by your great mercy and grace, would turn the souls of anyone here who does not know you, Lord, uh, back to you, Father. Give them life. Help them to reject selfish living and turn to you. For those of us who've been struggling along the path and feel like we're letting opportunities slide, we don't feel like either of the first two servants with their 100% return. We feel like we're a bit hit and miss. Help us to do the basics well, Lord. Help us to really be recommitted to you and maybe from even this morning really reevaluate where we've been putting our time, effort and priorities. And for those of us who are serving faithfully, Father, we can always serve more faithfully. There's always areas to grow. Help us to stay faithful, not let bitterness creep in or unforgiveness or any number of other weeds that might entangle the growth in our lives. So I pray for all of us, Father, in your precious name and by the power of your spirit that we can live uh, renewed lives, be transformed each day to be more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.